Okay, World War I. This is the winter of 1914-15. And the British had amassed a number of their troops. They were sent throughout different places in Europe, and, and many of them in trenches. And they found at one point they had a, just a debilitating blow to them. 20,000 of their soldiers were put out of commission. You have to think about it. It wasn't through an enemy attack. What do you think put 20,000 soldiers out of commission? Trench feet. Or they call trench foot. What actually would happen is they would, and this isn't, you know, this actually has occurred up through the Vietnam War and other, even today, they still have this trench foot occurrence. Um, and, and it's basically being in a damp and a cold place and, 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 you know, in their situation with leather boots that were wet and with socks that were wet and that continual cold and everything else began to just cause this pain. In fact, I read accounts of, of, of soldiers in World War I, some of those British soldiers, who they said at times it was hard to be in the trenches because there would be guys just next to them, or even a couple different guys, who would be in such pain. They were just crying out in just such pain because it would happen. And, and, and actually, infection would happen and gangrene and all. And it just wiped out about 20,000 of them. So finally, um, the British realized they needed to do something. And it was still a concurrent problem all the, you know, throughout the, the, the wartime. But they, they began to um, send up um, this kind of whale oil or some kind of oil. And I can't remember how many just thousands, thousands of millions of gallons of oil. I can't remember what the amount was, but there's just all kinds of oil they use. And then they would make sure that they would have two to three changes of socks that they were enforced to do throughout the day as a way of trying to counteract that. You see, in military warfare, the feet are incredibly important. And so as Paul is chained between two Roman guards, he's writing this letter that he's writing to the church in Ephesus. He sees their feet. He looks at it as he's going through in his mind how to be prepared for the war, the struggle, the fight spiritually you and I will face that those in Ephesus were facing. And he began to look and he goes, you know what, guys, there's something incredibly important for a soldier. See, Roman soldiers understood how important their feet were. They would actually, as you looked at it, they had these shoes, which were really kind of a sandal. And, they, and some of them were made with bronze, but often with brass, combined with leather. There were two parts to it. There was a part called the greave, which is kind of like a shin pad, if you want to look at it that way. Metal, some of them made in, in, in leather. And, and, and it would begin at the top of the knee and really extend down to the lower leg, resting on the upper portion of that, that shoe or sandal. And it was formed to be kind of fitted to the, the leg of a person. And then there's the, uh, the, the soldier's sandals, or, or they would call them shoes. Today we talk about military boots, but they, they'd wear these kind of sandals, which consisted essentially of a sole made of very, very tough leather. And they would actually have these formed to their feet, and they would have these straps that they would wrap around, so it was so tight to their feet there was no movement. And, and, and it talks about in some of the passages of Scripture, they were shod. And the idea of shod is this Greek word, this word hupodemomai, which it, it means under and it means tied to. And it gives the idea of binding something very tightly on the bottom of one's foot. 
And so on the bottom of these military sandals were studs or short nails, and they functioned like cleats. And so as you watch, if you watch the Super Bowl game today, you'll notice that in this kind of weather, it's not in a dome, so they don't actually know what it's going to be like totally on the field. You'll see some players will change their shoes two, three times till they can get the right one because they know that if they're going to do this battle well, which in football, it's a battle, right? I had a, we had some guys wearing Denver shirts right over here and a Seattle shirt. I had to come between them. They're not even playing the game. But here is the importance of the feet and the legs. And one of the things that you need to understand as you walk in this life spiritually is that God wants you to shod your feet tightly in this sense with the readiness, the preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. And the shoe, I think, Paul's mind is a great example of why this is so important. Because that would give you balance. Leverage in the fight. It would allow for you to be grounded so you could stand. And then as you're grounded, you have the ability to stay steady. And as you're steady... You need at times to be able to move quickly so it gives mobility. So you have these kind of four ideas that I want to talk about. The gospel of peace shot tightly to your feet in the sense spiritually, tightly to your walk as you live this life. So that you walk in balance. And we'll be talking about peace in God and how important that is. And so you also are grounded. When he says stand your ground, you're able to, to plant your feet with those cleats and you're grounded with this truth about the peace that we are all given, peace with God. And then as we're grounded, we have the ability to, through life to stay steady when we need to, and that steadiness is the peace of God that you have to practice, which allows for you to have the readiness to move with mobility, to be able to bring the peace through God into the places that you go, into arenas where you might find there is fear and anxiety and confusion and chaos. And so the first thing we want to talk about is this, this, this idea of balance, that peace you have in God. And people sometimes think, well, you, you, know, you get too much in God, it gets kind of crazy. But you know what? If you really look at any person who's not a, a wacko nut, you know what I mean? Because they are in every field you want to go to. But if you look at a person who's a godly person seeking to follow God, seeking to find their life in God, you'll find that they're balanced people. And so one of the things that God wants you to do is you put on this, this, these, these shoes of peace is to find this balance. Jesus came full of two things, grace and truth. He knew how to bring that perfect balance together. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you'll find that he lived very balanced. In fact, there's a man, Scott Peck, who wrote a book called The Roadless Travel and a bunch of other books, a psychiatrist. And one of the ways that he came to faith in God was he was telling stories about Jesus that he remembered from his childhood. He had never made a faith commitment. And as he realized when he was speaking to crowds, he said, if I'm going to tell these stories, I better read the Gospels. So he read the Gospels. And as a psychiatrist reading the Gospels, he was just taken back by the reality of, of how he was portrayed and by his balance. And, and, and as he looked at a person wanting to bring balance into people's lives, he was so overwhelmed and taken by that he he put his faith in Christ. One of my first doctor of ministry courses was with a man named Dr. Tim Warner, and he was a, a very bright guy. He was a missionary for the first 20 years of his ministry in, with, with coming out of, of seminary and training and, and his um, Ph.D. He had this <clears throat> modernistic, rationalistic 
worldview and understanding of life. And he goes into this place where it's much more of a spiritistic, animistic culture. And he he saw for the first time demonic stuff. And he was trying to put this together and he realized that, you know what, somehow these things come in sync. And he began to seek in God and his word and begin this. The spirit of God led him to be understand what he would call as what I would call a biblical worldview. And, and he was he, when he came back, he ran the doctor of ministry program that I went through. And, and, and one of the things that was kind of interesting is in the Midwest area, he was asked by a lot of hospitals to help with some of the psychiatric treatment of people who had been um, satanically, ritualistically abused. But they call them SRAs. And, and he was involved in that because of the, the great help he was able to to um, afford people in those situations. And he taught a course called Spiritual Warfare when I was beginning to try and understand what this meant some, like, 15, 20 years ago. And, and I remember going to his course, and, and I took another course with him with a guy named Neil Anderson who writes a book called Victory Over the Darkness, which is a really helpful book around finding your identity in Christ called Victory Over the Darkness. But I remember Dr. Warner's first words in our class. He looked out at us at the class and he said, I want you to know this. He said, the Christian life is a lot like riding a bicycle. The key to riding a bicycle is balance. He said you need some movement. So in your Christian life, you always need to be moving. And then you need balance. He says, when I talk to you about spiritual warfare, I want to talk to you about the the importance of spiritual balance when we talk about this very subject. You see, any good soldier will tell you that in a hand-to-hand combat, how important the feet are. You can be a person who has got all kinds of upper body strength. I remember I wrestled in high school and I had a coach, um, his name was Jan Jamison, and he would, he would look at his guys and, and there were certain people on the team who were working out with weights and, and they were getting really big in their upper body. Not me, obviously, but anyway, certain guys on the team. And he would look at them and he goes, you guys look like bullfrogs. You have these big chests and you have these little legs. And he'd get upset and he goes, you guys got chicken legs. And so he'd go on and we're kind of, where's he going with this? He goes, you will not do any good in a, in a wrestling match if you don't have strength in your legs so that you have the ability to have balance because wrestling and fighting is all about balance. So also our understanding of what it means to walk with God. And so you get these kind of things in your Christian life and you need to understand how important that is. C.S. Lewis wrote these insightful words. Satan sends errors into the world in opposite pairs. He sends them out there in extremes. And his hope is that you will get so upset about one that you'll react into the opposite. That's what you see so ha- happen so often in people's lives. They see one and they get all upset about this one, so they go way over to this end. Oh, I go into churches where they're all emotional. That's the last thing we want to do. So they become all about the head. And then the people who are afraid about all, and then they go over here and God says, you know what? It's a, it's, it's a balance. It brings it together. We are people who tend to extremes. Ecclesiastes 7.18 warns against all extremes. It says this, the man who fears God, who, who is putting their peace in God, seeking him, will avoid all extremes. There's examples in spiritual warfare. One of the problems that happens so often where we get some lack of balance is people, what I call, become irresponsible. And and what they will say is, you know what? The devil made me do it, right? 
all, you know, never take responsibility. It's all about the devil doing it. And then you get to the other side, people who are really what I call over-responsible, but the lack of humility you kind of go, oh, there's no spiritual thing, the devil, whatever. Yeah, maybe he's there. Maybe the Bible talks about it. But no. the reality is there's balance in the word of God. And what I'm teaching on these Wednesday night classes, one of the things you realize that in Scripture there is this, the world, which, which tempts us with our eyes and our senses. And then there is also our flesh, which is the sin within us that draws us towards those things. And then there's Satan. There are demonic spirits who are involved in this thing. And if you don't understand that, you will not be in balance. We get out of balance all the time. Paul is writing Corinthians and he's talking to a group of people and they're all excited about the spiritual gifts, all kinds of spiritual gifts. Some of them are what I would call supernatural, more sign kind of gifts that, that show that. And then there's just some very natural administration and things like serving and other things like that. And there's people and they go to one extreme or they go to the other and then you throw one out. And Paul goes, don't you guys get it? It's like a body. If you were all an eye, you would look really bad. If you were all a hand, you would be in trouble. What you need to know is that each one of you have been given a gift of God. And every one of you is important in what God wants to do, not only in your family, in your life, or in the, where you work, but in this church. And I want to tell you, if you have this lie going on, hey, I don't have anything, I can't really... That is a lie. I encourage you to say, God, where am I to be engaged? Part of your fruitfulness and growth in life, part of your joy... It comes out of understanding your giftedness and where you can make a difference in the way God's created you. And every person has been put in the body. It doesn't matter if you're a lung or a leg. Right? Okay. Balance. There is a peace that settles over you when you know that in God, you don't need to get nervous. None of us need to be nervous. Nellie's going, oh, no. God, by his word and by his Holy Spirit, if you seek to walk in it, will walk this body and all of us into balance. He's bigger than us, but he calls us to cooperate. The next thing I want you to talk about is grounded. <clears throat> this whole idea of peace with God. Probably one of the most important parts of this whole aspect of peace in the sandal or shoe Equipment. The Roman military sandal had cleats or studs that could dig into the ground so that when the attack came, you were grounded. You were firmly planted, unmovable. You had traction and ability to stand. And one of the primary reasons I think Paul associates this idea of peace, the gospel, the good news that God has done something for you with the soldier's shoes is because he's just talked about the breastplate of righteousness, protect and cover your heart, knowing that you have imputed righteousness, which is what is a gift from God, a position that you've received. And now, you know, the penalty of sin is over so that now you can begin to understand the power of sin has also been destroyed so that like a little baby infant, you begin growing now in this and we are also impatient. We want to be perfect adults and Satan will will constantly come at you. You just don't make it. You're not good enough. But this positional place of righteousness is important. So Paul goes, your feet have to be grounded. You have to be so solidly, firmly put into a position where you know that you don't ever have to doubt ever again in your life that God is angry with you, that you never have to doubt again that God's just trying to do things in your life to punish you and hurt you. God never does that. He loves you like a father. And he is there saying, get grounded in the peace of God. But Satan will seek to deceive you and he'll accuse you and he'll come and he'll say, you're just not worthy enough. And he'll point out every flaw. He'll, he'll, he's just not, a, he's not a, a, a gentleman in any way. Every impure thought. 
every hurtful action, every foolish word you have spoken, he will do everything he can to get you moved out of that place. Because if he can do that, he gets you, you're ineffective. You know why? You're no longer standing grounded, understanding that you are this, this, this person who has been given the power and the, the presence of God to impact the world around you. You're now looking at yourself. It's all about you. I mean, he's a liar, loves to accuse you because he can get his eyes on you. And, oh, man, and I just can't do it. Well, you're not looking out. You're not in the battle. You're not engaged. And so he says, I want you to understand that, that there has been something done for you. There is a peace with God that's provided for you that you had nothing to do about except believe in. So Romans chapter 4, verse 20 Verses 5 through 2, and I'm going to drip, just drop down to verse 1 because in classes they were always taught this, that when you, when you look at the word therefore, don't start there. Go back and understand why it was put therefore. Okay? So we're going to go back to verse 20. Here's why it was put there. Yet Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God Jesus, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is before the law was given, before you could perform yourself into being saved by God, or at least think you could. This was prior to that. Abraham believed somehow, think about it, 2,000 years before, someone not living in our modern day got the idea before there was even Christ who came as a sacrifice, saw that in his own heart and mind, this God said, I will make you righteous. I love you, Abraham. I've called you, Abraham. I want you to trust and believe in that, Abraham. I want you to walk in that, Abraham. I'm going to be fully persuaded in that. In fact, one of the things I'm going to do to show you that it's true is I'm going to give you a son. Right. Years later, he's 90, still in a son, but he's fully persuaded. It's fully persuaded that God has the power to do what he promised. Not only would he make him righteous, which is the big deal, because giving a son even to a 90 plus year old man and woman is not a big deal for God. Making us righteous in his sight was a big deal. It cost his life on a cross. So he says, just keep your eyes on it and be fully persuaded. Here's what you need to understand. And when he comes to this point and he says here, and in, in, in he goes on, he says, where was I at? This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but for us also. Guess it's for you this was written. To whom God will credit righteousness. It's his promise to you and to me. For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was able to deliver over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, here is the therefore, since we have been justified through faith, believing in what He did, we have peace, what? Underline, with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. You don't ever have to move. You can stay fully granted, grounded when, when Satan comes at you and he lies and he accuses you and he points out all these things. You kind of go, you know what? I don't need to listen to this. It's a lie. Now, I had an opportunity um, to understand this a number of years ago. When the Timberwolves were first here, I think it was their first or second season as, as a team. And I had someone who gave me front row tickets 
to watch them. Now, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but to get front row tickets was a big deal when I was at that point in my life. And I remember thinking, this is really cool. I remember walking down, getting our seats with my wife next to me. We were there really early, so no one else was there. And it's like it, was, it wasn't in a big stadium. We were right next. I mean, the players were right here. And I remember thinking, I'm looking around going, someone's going to kick me out. They're going to look at me and go, he doesn't belong there. And in a moment, I understood even more how this was true, because sitting right next to us was Jimmy Jammin and his entourage. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm in celebrity seats. Hey, Jimmy, how's the music going? You know, that, I'm just like, they were so close. There's Kevin Duckworth and Clyde the Glide Drexler are out there. And at one point, Kevin Duckworth, this huge guy, comes flying at us. And I didn't do the chivalrous thing. I went, oh, like this. And he went flying at my wife. And I thought, protect yourself. <clears throat> but I'm sitting there thinking, there is no way I deserve to sit in these seats. And I'm nervous and anxious and all this stuff. My wife is just like, it probably didn't matter to her that much. She kind of goes, what's wrong with you? Just look at your ticket. And I just remember just that was so true. All I had to do is go, yeah, yeah. See? Roll one. Right here. Get out of here, buddy. There's no way you can cause and accuse me for not sitting here. You know what? That is what you need to do. When you have accusation, you just hold up Christ. Say, guess what, buddy? You're exactly right, I don't deserve this place. I have done nothing to put myself in that kind of position of peace with God. But because I've been justified through what Jesus did on the cross, I am fully persuaded that you are crazy. Get out of here. Now, here's the, here's the thing. This word readiness or preparation has the idea of firmness of resolve. So we can talk about peace in God and the balance that we need to live in. And we can talk about this groundedness and the peace that we are to have with God because it's been presented to us. It's, it's a gift. But here's the thing that you move into. And it's the steadiness of life that needs to happen where the peace of God begins to rule in your life. And the presence of God begins to show up. And one of the fruits of the spirit that may need to grow in your life right now is God's peace. And part of it is holding that ticket. But part of it is recognizing this truth that we talked about last week. Imparted righteousness says that you are a person who has all these past experiences, all this stuff in your life. God takes you where you're at right now. You may be physically mature as a 25-year-old, a 40-year-old, or a 60-year-old. But the reality is that the day you invite Christ into your heart and you begin to walk in the peace with God, now the peace of God has to grow in your heart just like an infant. And you have to understand how important the shoes of peace are. Because if you think about it, and if you understand this whole idea of the steadiness and the peace of God, Satan knows if he can knock you off your feet, you're no good. So if he can get you onto the ground. I mean, a Roman soldier that would lose their footing was in bad, it was in, in bad shape in a war. And so here you have Satan coming along, wanting to knock the peace of God out of your heart. I just want to share this with you because this is so true. If you allow God to build peace into your daily experience, nothing will shake Satan more 
than a person who resolutely chooses to live controlled by the peace of God. Nothing impresses people around you more than a person who understands that you have peace with God, but now begin to feed on and live through and practice the peace of God in their day-to-day life. You know what? We can get all up in arms about the fact that, you know, wow, Christianity doesn't have the impact it once had. and Boy, what's going on? Think about it. When you go to work, if they see a whole bunch of Christians as fearful and nervous and controlling and manipulative as the people around them, who in the world needs it? They're kind of going, this Jesus doesn't do much in your life. One of the greatest, if you want to look at witnesses that we have for people, is to grow in the peace of God. One of the reasons Roman soldiers wore these military sandals was because the enemy had found ways to trip up a soldier and actually injure them. It's what I call the first century landmines. The enemy would lay traps in the ground, often hidden and not visible. They'd place traps or what was called gins in the ground. And I was looking up gins. What is that? And I thought, you know, gin rummy, drinking gin, you know, all those things. You know what? There's one of the definitions of this idea of a trap in a game. They would lay gins in the ground, and they would take a piece of wood or a stick and chisel it into a narrow point. Then they would fix this into the ground. And with the sharp points just sticking up slightly where they wouldn't be seen from the surface, the the army would walk over it. And when the enemy came along, if they had no sandals at all or their sandals weren't thick enough, they would actually go through that leather or go through the foot that was not covered with anything and they would penetrate and they would debilitate a soldier just like trench foot. And not only that, some of it, they would take out a whole group of soldiers. If they would get infected, it would get infected to the point that they couldn't even battle. And so I think Paul in his mind is looking at it and he goes, you know, and you need to know if the peace of God is going to reside in you, is going to grow in you, is going to begin to control you through the spirit of God. You need to understand there's traps that Satan has laid and there's some of them that are in the past. And there are things such as this one. The first thing I just have to share with you is if you're living with unconfessed sin, deliberate sin, you can expect not to have peace. You are out of harmony with God. You can still be God's child if you receive from your heart, but you're out of harmony. You won't have peace. It's like an indicator light on your car, right? When it's going off, what do you do? You ignore it, right? No, hopefully not, because the idea of it is that it's pointing to some greater catastrophe down the road. So you need to take and deal with it. And the reality is right now, if I'm speaking and you know that you're in a place where you're standing before God and say, I don't really care. I'm going to do this anyway. It is the indicator light of God in your heart as a one not angry and not in any way coming this angry dad. He says, Dad, he says, I love you so much. I, I can see what's going to happen. Don't go there. You will experience the consequences of your own choice. There's what I would call another area that trips people up that, that, that so often in the Christian life for so many years has been about, well, I accept Jesus and everything is also good. And reality is, no, the whole idea of sanctification, big word for growing in Jesus Christ and the spirit conforming you to Jesus is this, that there are there are things that God needs to do. There are unhealed wounds in our hearts and lives that God has to come along and bring healing. And often that happens through forgiveness. Some of you may have grown up and where you lose your peace is because you grew up with maybe a very critical parent. And that critical parent, you constantly felt condemned and you carry that voice and you're now 50 years old and you're going, it's still there. 
And you might, instead of blaming, it's not about blaming, because that parent probably had a critical parent who had a critical parent. But you have the opportunity to make a difference by choosing a new path. And part of that new path is saying that's a lie. And then beginning to memorize Scripture, like Romans 8.1 says, there's now, at this point in your life, no condemnation. Now, peace of God is you cooperating in faith and allowing Him to change you into the kind of person that God has always intended you to be. There's not only unconfessed sins, unhealed wounds, or what I call unmet needs. There are all these kind of needs that we all have. We grow up with them. The desire for significance and security and intimacy and belonging and the idea of wanting to be believed and understood. And, and those needs are all legitimate. But we find so often, every one of us, is that in our, when we're young, we seek to do what we can to protect ourselves and to care for ourselves. And I always talk about these strategies we choose to live with that often are the strategies of selfishness and manipulation. And we don't even realize it or can call it that way, but it's how we get along in life. And at a certain point, we begin to realize these things don't, aren't getting us what we really need. Some of you may be really successful with your strategies. You may have built a really prosperous business, but you find out at a certain point it's not getting you what you need. And God says, let me in and bring peace. Let me bring peace to you. Let me teach you a new strategy. And then there's this whole idea of what I call unresolved conflicts. And they're usually things from the past. They can be in the present. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we often are saying, blessed are the peacekeepers, right? So often what we do is we try and kind of just cover over the conflict and, and, they, and, and you know what happens? They, they come up again and again. We just cover them over. And, and here's the truth. The people who walk in faith and begin to experience the peace of God are gutsy, courageous people. They have wives like mine that look at me and go, it's time that we deal with this. I remember getting a phone call. I didn't say it was the first service, so don't put this on the tape. Anyway, and... Um, Phone call, I'm in Florida, I'm working for Trinity, and I remember my wife saying, and just going into one of those things, we need to deal with this, and I'm going, oh, man, I thought everything was great. You know, that's where guys are. It's all good. Guys, I, I call you to courage and guts. Don't be a peacekeeper and try and keep things. Wives, don't be afraid of their anger. If you want to be holy people... In love, bring and invite someone and drive to the source and begin to move into holiness the way it's supposed to be. Be peacemakers. That's why we have this counseling ministry and a gateway ministry. That's why we encourage people to be in small groups where they can be accountable and start to share their lives. But we have, I am so excited as a church, we are in a place that I think we can really help people in these areas. And then what I call unfavorable circumstances. And it's the way, you know, life just doesn't go the way we want it. It's kind of like, oh, I've got peace with God. I'm going to live this balanced life. And now all of a sudden you get knocked off your feet because, whoa, I didn't see that financial thing coming. Whoa, I didn't see that illness coming. You know, oh, man, God, you must not like me. You know what I mean? Anybody feel that way ever? I think it's a really cool thing. I'll make this short. Dr. Henry Cloud, in one of his books, talks about happiness and peace. And he says, research estimates that our happiness and peace comes from three factors. How we are wired, 50%. See, there's just some happy people. There's just some peaceful people. 40% from what we can control. 
And catch this, 10% from our circumstances. So every one of you who are crying about your circumstances, be included, you're in the wrong place. I remember as God started dealing with this whole thing on joy, and we've been talking about joy, and I said this is the first service I'll tell you, I really want to be one of the most joyful people I can be. And that's one of my goals. And I began to realize, and when I saw that this week, this, I just saw this this week, read this, I went, wow, that is so cool. 40% of who I am can choose against the rest. I can begin to take God's Word. I can take His Spirit. And I can begin to go, you know what? You can change these pathways in my mind and I can become something I didn't think I could. Even though I may not be wired that way. Does this grab you at all? Okay, I hope so. Anyway, okay. There's some scriptures that are really helpful. Isaiah 26.3. I'm just going to have you um, be concerned and, and look at this. God will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on Him because you trust in Him. That's the that you're balanced, you're grounded, you're steady now because your mind is being renewed and stayed on Him. The 40% of what we can control. Philippians says, don't be given to worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition. So in communication with God, and don't forget this part, with thanksgiving. It is one of the most crucial parts of this whole prayer. Begin to start giving thanks to God. It changes your perspective. Present those requests to God. Leave them at His feet. And the peace of God, which transcends your ability to understand it, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then there's this last part. It's what I call mobility. Peace through God. In balance, we, we find peace in God because He brings balance. We also then have peace with God because what Jesus did on the cross and now with the work of the Holy Spirit, we begin to experience. There's a verse in, in Colossians. I didn't give you this, but it's a good verse. So let me see if I can find it quick. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since you were called to peace. You're going to be watching the game this afternoon. At a certain point, you see skirmishes on the field. You see what happens. The ref comes in and gets knocked around, but eventually the skirmish is put aside because of the ref who rules to bring peace in order, right? <laughs> I love what he says. Let the peace that's in Jesus begin to practice practices in your life so when these fears and all these things come up, you're able to stand in a place of peace. Let it rule you tomorrow. The peace of God begins to rule you because when the peace of God undergirded by the peace with God, as we walk in balance, peace in God, we now begin to bring the peace through God to every place we go. So one of the great things about this verse, that I, when, I, when I get up in the morning, I, I do a number of prayers. But one of the prayers that I pray is, is this whole thing of armor. And I just pray, I say, God, thank you for the armor you've given me. I put on the belt of truth, which is this sense of integrity that ties it all together, the, the breastplate of righteousness, this unearned, imputed, imparted gift, and now I just want to tie on my feet this readiness. I get to bring peace everywhere I go. You get to bring peace everywhere you go. You're an ambassador for peace. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against Him. And He has committed to you and to me the message of this peace and reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making His appeal through us. I, I love it, and I'll close on this. You know, isn't it cool? Sometimes you watch these movies and you see these guys are being hunted by someone in the other country, and all of a sudden they find their way to the embassy. They get in the embassy, and uh, whew, they close the doors. You're safe. Why is that? 
Because the embassy grounds in many, it's not like in the U.S. It's, we have Chinese students here. The Chinese embassy ground is China land. It's actually land of China. It's, it's not ours. Their rules, their laws, everything applies there. So we can't step in. You are an ambassador. Your home is the presence of heaven and God there. Now, you may go at times, it's not like that. You don't know how many kids and all this stuff going on. But you know what? It is the presence of God. That's what the fact is. And you have the opportunity as an ambassador, each one of us, this week, if we're, we're in a place where our hearts are ready to bring this peace everywhere we go. We're going to take this meal. I'm going to ask Kevin to come and share as we just um, take this meal of peace. This is God's great gift to us. We feed on the grace and goodness and mercy and love of God.